0: Wherever you're listening from in the world, you've surely seen at least a few examples of what really looks to be a growing wave of transnational anti-LGBT hatred. Efforts successful in many cases, efforts to disrupt and shut down drag events, increasing use of anti-LGBT slurs and hate speech and outright threats online across all sorts of social networks in different languages ridiculous quote-unquote groomer narratives, uh, increasingly mainstream anti-trans rhetoric from prominent politicians and celebrities. And I mean, honestly, there's so many more examples of this as well. It's no time for people who are from countries like, say, Canada or the Netherlands, coincidentally, first the country I'm from and the country I live in now, it's no place for people from countries like this To keep looking up at some mantle, at, you know, some imaginary prize at having been some of the first countries to recognize marriage equality and uh, be seen as leaders on LGBT rights. You know, East or West or North or South and everywhere in between, anti-LGBT hatred, discrimination and violence is becoming more common or more normal. Europride, as the name suggests is a European LGBT Pride event that takes place in a different European city every year. Uh, The September year of Pride is scheduled to take place in Belgrade in Serbia. The first time it'll have been held in southeastern Europe or outside the European Union or the European Economic Area. And it'll actually only be, I think, only the third time in almost 30 years it'll be held in a former communist or socialist country. Well, at, at least that's the plan. In late August, uh, Serbia's president, Aleksandr Vucic, announced that Euro Pride would be cancelled or postponed. Now, he didn't say outright it would be banned, well, since he doesn't actually have the authority to do that just by a mere announcement. But he and his government have basically made it as clear as possible that they don't want Euro Pride to go ahead. And he said that because of other issues facing the country, uh, specifically ongoing issues with Kosovo, the former president southern province of serbia that declared independence in 2008 he said that because of that euro pride is just not going to happen still the organizers aren't backing down they're still planning on going ahead even despite threats coming from the far right who have taken to the streets in what are called the or what they call a litia which is litias i guess a term for you know orthodox religious processions in in the serbian the difference between these litias and, you know, actual orthodox religious processions is that these ones don't necessarily feature banners of, uh, you know, saints and religious figures. There are rallies where you can see banners held of figures like Serbian Nazi collaborator uh, Draža Mihailović or banners of Vladimir Putin. I mean, this is definitely a complicated issue to wrap your head around as an outsider But it's important for us to talk about what's going on in Serbia, not just as as an example of what's happening in in a specific country and a specific context, but an example of how anti LGBT rhetoric and actions connect to and relate to other hot button issues, hot button issues, not just for the far right, but for people who might consider themselves more mainstream. That's why for this episode of the Bell and Cat Monitoring Podcast, I talked to Sofia Todorovich, the program director at the Youth Initiative for Human Rights, and she's based in Belgrade. So our guest today is Sofia Todorovich, who works at the Youth Initiative for Human Rights, which is a, a network of NGOs that works across the Western Balkans. Uh, but probably best for Sofia to, uh, you know, to to, to introduce herself. Well, thanks very much for taking the time to ta- chat with us, Sofia.
1: You're welcome, Michael. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. So I, I know a bit, obviously, about what you do and what. Uh, Youth Initiative for Human Rights does and what your work just entails in general. But can, can you tell us a bit about who are you? What exactly what, what what exactly do you do, not just in Serbia, in Belgrade, where you're based, but across the Western Balkans?
1: Okay, then let me introduce myself. My name is Sofia Todorovic. I'm currently uh, working on a position of program director in Youth Initiative for Human Rights Serbia. As you already stated at the very beginning, uh, Youth Initiative for Human Rights, the best way to understand it is to understand it as a non-formal network of uh, NGOs who are working in Serbia, Croatia, Montenegro, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and Kosovo. But then uh, after this formal and boring part of the story then goes the part about what Youth Initiative actually does. Youth Initiative is basically the organization that is working in the field of human rights, but with its unique focus on the consequences of the wars and basically by being led with the principles of transitional justice because uh, we strongly believe that we can contribute to the building of democratic uh, society in Serbia, where, where the rule of law and the truth are, let's say, our guiding principles, in a way, together with the with the human rights and, and guarantees that the human rights will be uh, respected, in a way. Uh, I, myself, uh, uh, actually started my, my act- activism the within Youth Initiative in 2014, After that, I was working in different fields of human rights, but mainly those that are linked with, uh, let's say, lessons that we learned from the past and the current state of, of human rights in Serbia and in the region. I also worked for a media organization, and now I'm back in Youth Initiative.
0: That's right, and and of course that that's how I know you is from from your media work. But uh, we all yeah, move I around. Yeah,
1: I like
0: my work. Yeah, <laughs> we all thought. yeah we all move around and wear different different hats as time goes on. So it's a uh, it's always interesting. But the the main reason that I wanted to talk to you is about something that's ended up making international news, and that's uh, Euro Pride, the planned Pan European Pride Festival that takes place every year is scheduled to take place later this month, later in September in Belgrade.
1: Yeah, 17th of
0: September. 17th of September, right. And so in late August, uh, Serbia's president, Aleksandar Vucic, he announced that the event was going to be uh, cancelled or postponed. So as I understand it, not really outright banning the event, but essentially saying in every way possible, this event is not going to happen. And one of the reasons that, as I understand it, that he gave for... uh, you know the, the, that the event shouldn't go ahead is because of the threat posed by uh, far right extremists. That this all being said, uh, as we record now, Euro Pride organizers are insisting that the event is going to go ahead as scheduled, and they're still planning for it to go ahead. So there's a lot to unpack here, but uh, I'll start with with a you know a pretty broad question: What exactly has happened? Like, what exactly has gone on there?
1: Well, uh, as everything in the Balkans, um, it's a bit complex, but in its essence, it's simple. So I will try to 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 bring this story basically okay. to, to, to the people who are listening to us. So with the preparations of the Europe ride, uh, everything went, uh, let's say, smoothly. Smoothly, but in the, but please uh, take this word smoothly in in like a Balkan. Uh, Mm. Balkan way of of doing smoothly with with the state. Uh, Basically, uh, Belgrade and Serbia actually got the... We had the elections in the spring uh, this year. Belgrade got the new mayor who actually showed... uh, Turned out to be, let's say, more hostile towards the Europride than than the previous mayors of Belgrade. And actually, he started with this, let's say, uh, very... uh, hostile statements. Uh, and he also claimed that he will not be attending Europe Pride because he is not supporting such mm-hmm. events and things like that. But in the early August this year, and in general, uh, after the, the elections and the results of the elections, we had political parties uh, once again uh, exploiting the situation in Kosovo for their own uh, political benefit. In a way, so uh, for those who don't know why I'm talking, what I'm talking about, basically, uh, Kosovo is a territory that Serbia uh, actually uh, treats like the part of, of of the state of its own state. But the Kosovo declared independence in 2008, and from that moment, actually started to have a completely different path than the Serbian part. But nevertheless, uh, Kosovo was once part of of Serbia, and uh, after the bloody conflicts that escalated uh, during the 90s, and after different events that actually took place after these wars, actually the uh, majority of people who live in Kosovo, who are Albanians by nationality, actually uh, fought for their independence, and basically uh, Kosovo institutions declared independence in 2008, which was backed up by, let's say, important international actors. Mm -hmm. So, uh, currently, we're in the situation where we have this uh, negotiations between Belgrade and Pristina, how they usually call it, because if you say Kosovo, then it means that you uh, are treating Kosovo, if you say Serbia and Kosovo, then it means that you're treating Kosovo as a state. So, uh, I'm just sharing this, um, let's say, point, so, uh, so actually we can uh enable a good foundation for right. the understanding of right. all absurdity that can this situation. Yeah, away. I think I
0: think sometimes with uh, the former Yugoslavia and the Western Balkans, sometimes to outsiders, it can seem, you know, just completely incomprehensible. But when you take a few minutes and yeah. have it explained to you, it's, it's 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 it actually starts to make sense. So, exactly. Sorry.
1: So basically with all this mess with is Kosovo a state or is not a state and what is Serbia going to do about it? Uh Actually, we have this political situation in Serbia where generations of politicians are building the, let's say, main narrative around the politics that they will lead in the country on Kosovo. I know that it sounds uh, a little bit uh, crazy, but it is what it is. So, with uh, this Kosovo issue, uh, after the elections, each party actually started to prove that they are the best patriots that Serbia could ever have by actually sharing their plans about Kosovo and what right. would they do if they were vučić uh, vučić also then uh, actually well, vučić uh, Alexander vučić he's the president of mm-hmm. serbia joined this game to actually explain to them that he is the only person that actually takes care about the serbs that takes care about the national interest of serbia that mm-hmm. they are all behaving irresponsible and that actually he is the biggest patriot in this game so, uh, actually, uh, during this summer, we had uh, a situation which was unknown uh, much more uh, before this. That uh, actually, the stickers that were a part of the agreement between Belgrade and Serbia regarding the car plates that were used uh, in in Kosovo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that actually, this agreement uh, that they will use stickers uh, in order not to have to change the car plates to the Kosovo car plates that are being used in Kosovo, la la la. Uh, basically, uh, this agreement expired in a way, right. so we had to actually have this uh, the stocks, you know, moving once again, uh, and with such bad, let's say, relationships between uh, Kosovo and Serbia, where we even had like a one year of almost nothing and more, uh, that started with the clashes and the, uh, uh basically on, on the borders and, uh, the, mm. the restrictions when it comes to the import and export from Serbia to, to Kosovo. Uh, now actually we had the situation that this sticker situation needs to be resolved. And basically this, um, this agreement expired at the beginning of August. In the beginning of of August, we've uh, actually witnessed a lot of tensions, barricades Mm -hmm. uh, in Kosovo, where actually media in Serbia were saying that we are on the verge of the war. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, yeah. And as you know, it was not just in Serbia, because it made a lot of probably, you know, blown out of proportion international headlines.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because... um, uh, i think that now after the situation with the war in ukraine all these warmongerings that were let's say very frequent in the balkans are now being taken more seriously by let's say the international mm-hmm. since we are actually still having an ongoing conflict on mm-hmm. the european soil in the heart of europe so i think that the usual balkans warmongering will not now go you know without any kind, uh, kind of reaction, and after the war in Ukraine started, the Europe itself, and let's say the, the regions that are uh, trying uh, to become members of the European Union became some sort of a battlefield for the big forces, mm-hmm. let's call it, let's put it that way to make it a little bit simple. So, uh, after these tensions that actually emerged at the very beginning of August, after these clashes on the barricades and things like that, the situation uh, was again under control. The U.S. embassy in Pristina actually uh, interfered and asked Pristina to postpone uh, its the, the implementation of right. the decision about the stickers until the first of September. Mm. Uh, So basically that's how how it ended. On the 20, uh, in the meantime, while the situation uh, with Kosovo is being, uh, let's say, unstable, but I would really like to emphasize this part, not more unstable than it was Mm -hmm. a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, a year ago, two years ago. So basically we are constantly, let's say, in the same bad position, which is right. lasting so, for un- a year. So
0: in other words, unfortunately, a situation that hasn't changed, even if people from abroad looking looking at the situation mm-hmm. assume from media coverage or discussion of it that things have ramped up to a whole new stage.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I really think that actually, as I said a couple of minutes ago, that this situation with the war in Ukraine actually contributed in a way to this interpretation of the of the events. We had Putin who actually used Kosovo as, let's mm-hmm. say, an excuse to justify its own invasion mm. against Ukraine. So I think uh, actually one of my remarks was that actually Putin brought us here. You know, because from the very beginning of the Ukrainian conflict, he confronted West with the argument that he was, that was based basically on the example of Kosovo.
0: Yeah, like, right, it, 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 this, this argument that, oh, I'm just doing what Kosovo did in 2008. And
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think this is, uh, th- th- this actually brings us to the answer what Kosovo has to do with Ukraine. In reality, nothing in political ways and in, 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 in terms of, let's say, the interest on, of different uh, actors uh, a lot, apparently. Uh, So this is actually how uh, Kosovo got into this mess with uh, Russia and and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So uh, after the situation uh, that happened, that emerged in the very beginning of of August, we actually uh, had uh, far-right parties that were criticizing the government, but not that loud. But instead, they actually started to build their political impact on the process of criticizing Europe right, okay. so let's say that the uh, and when I say uh, this right wing parties until this spring, uh, basically uh, most of the right wing parties that are like very openly uh, mm-hmm. sharing their right wing stance uh, were not part of the Serbian Parliament. After this election, we have. Parties such as Dveri, such as Zavetnici, coalition Nada, which is actually Democratic Serbian Party, which are now part of the Serbian Parliament. Right. They all have like really, uh, let's say, uh, right-wing or rightist actually uh, mm-hmm. political political stance Like really, th- three, ask, three,
0: three smaller yeah. parties that are you know hard right, right-wing, far right. Maybe radical, exactly. right, depending depending on, on the situation. But there's certainly, as I understand it, three, I mean, at least in parliamentary terms, three new intensely right-wing parties on the scene.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and if you uh, put that in the context where civil society is criticizing actually the government itself and the largest party in Serbia, Serbian Progressive Party, to be actually very nationalistic and, and right-wing oriented, with these new forces uh, joining the the Serbian Parliament, I think that actually that only shows that the ser- the landscape in Serbia can only let's say uh, be fueled with even more of these kind of narratives and these kind of let's say uh, political solutions in a way mm-hmm. that will be promoted in the in the future. So basically, one of these parties, very actually started. A large campaign against Europe Pride right? mm-hmm. uh, with its leader, but afterwards, uh, other, let's say, uh, other right wing parties also joined this campaign, as well as Zavetnici, as well as uh, uh, the other uh, that the other uh, right wing party actually from from the mm-hmm. parliament, but also actually. Uh, the political party Tveri was actually uh, capable to gather around uh, um, this idea uh, many representatives of uh, Serbian Orthodox Church, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, and actually uh, the let's say that the trigger point for this anti uh, not the trigger point but let's say the 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 when the moment when uh, this campaign actually. Uh, when, when it was obvious that this campaign will not just go, you know, like that, uh, was the moment when, uh, a member of Serbian Orthodox Church, uh, uh, Nikanor actually mm-hmm. made this speech where he actually said, like, a lots of really bad words right. about the LGBTIQ people, basically denying their right to exist, their right to have life, their right to actually enjoy basic human rights in Serbia. And actually, then political party very supported this. Uh, the representative of Serbian Orthodox Church and then many other, let's say, elements, groups, individuals who are sharing, even doctors, for thinking that homosexuality is an illness. That Needs to be treated and cured. Uh, actually, joined this group of of these people, and this is how basically they became a larger group of of uh, of people who are right. actually opposing to to Europe, right? So it just
0: kind of it just mushroomed and grew from there, even over a short period of time, as I understand it from what you're saying.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Still relative, still not like a massive movement, like hundreds of thousands of people marching, but still no, snowballed no, no, into still something marching. more significant.
1: Yeah, but actually uh, yes, uh, there is not like uh, they're not like that big, but still uh, taking into consideration the political landscape of Serbia and basically the ability of other actors in Serbia to gather people on the street. Uh, actually, when this group started with the protest, they gathered like uh, uh, tens of thousands of people Right. so to say uh so and basically uh on this protest pictures of vladimir putin could be seen mm-hmm. uh people were actually sending uh, very bad messages towards lgbtiq community but the most interesting thing was that they built a narrative around this protest as a family protest so the Initial message of, of these walks uh, was actually that people are marching to protect their families, like the right to have a normal family mm-hmm. and to protect the tradition in in Serbia that is being endangered by the uh Europe Pride mm-hmm. uh, and events such as Euro Pride and by our LGBTIQ uh, citizens in Serbia, basically. So, but after the, this, uh, protest actually, uh, started to happen on the street, we could see a lot of messages that have nothing to do basically with LGBTIQ community in Serbia. And this is basically the moment where everything actually started to, to have more sense in terms of, you know, some, let, let's say some, a larger understanding of the of the situation as such
0: right it's it, it, as well with these when when Vucic uh you know announced that he had, was going to cancel or postpone uh euro pride uh one of his rationales as i understand it was you know he said that uh you know these some of these far-right forces some of which he mentioned are you know threatening LGBT plus events, organizations, and in individuals—they could, uh, you know, they they could really be pose, posing a threat to your pride. Essentially, almost kind of throwing his hands up and saying, "Oh, we we can't protect you." But this is hardly the first instance of this kind of thing in Serbia, is it? Like, can can you give give us a bit of background and perspective on what the LGBT plus community and individuals in Serbia have had to deal with in the past few years and beyond from the far right?
1: Yes, of course. Uh, so, basically, when these events, uh, when this protest actually took place in Belgrade, they call it Litia. So I will call it Litia as well, because for me, it's right. Easier I do, I don't know if there's
0: a. I don't know if there's even an, a, a, a better translation. English translation for it. Just call it Litia, and <laughs> me neither. Uh, you know, so yeah, exactly. Let's 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 just stick with the term. Listen, we don't need to play translation. Yeah, games. because
1: it's authentic.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Authenticity. You're
1: right. Yeah. So, um, when this Liti actually started to happen uh, on Saturday, 24th of August, actually the president um, organized a media conference where he, in in literally during his speech, but in 30 seconds, he announced that uh, once again the prime minister of Serbia will be Anna Brnovic, who is openly declared herself as an LGBT. IQ person, but immediately after that, he said that he will cancel Europe Pride, which was really a shock. We were not actually, we saw these people protesting, marching mm-hmm. against Pride, uh, sharing the pictures of Vladimir Putin, uh, Draža Mikhailovich, mm-hmm. a Chetnik chatnik uh, duke from the World War II mm-hmm. era, and uh, they were actually uh, talking about kosovo they were they uh, also brought the uh, let's say the pictures of of the um of the saint people and things like that and they they send let's say they also brought children but we also saw children in the t-shirts with the letter z yeah and there was a lot of people with uh, in t-shirts with the letter z which was completely crazy and uh, at that moment actually the president said that he's canceling euro pride and, and that it will have to be postponed uh, if not canceled due to the security risks during that conference he never actually said who is the threat uh, but he also mentioned that in this uh, severely serious uh, situation in the region with this tension around Kosovo, mm-hmm. which was a little bit shocking because a week before that, um, both Miroslav Leipzig and Escobar were here, actually. They visited Belgrade, they visited Pristina. They had they had like hard but very successful meetings with the leaders, that everything would mm-hmm. be fine. And after that, on Saturday, president is saying that we have still tension. Right which was like really, really shady and shocking. But uh, this uh, way, uh, this situation is very well known to them, unfortunately, to us for organizing Belgrade Pride. Um, Belgrade Pride, the first successful Europe Pride, Belgrade Pride, sorry, now I'm mixing Europe Pride, Belgrade Pride, all of this. The first successful Belgrade Pride was organized in 2014. But before that. There were attempts uh, attempts of organizing the Pride Parade, but the Pride Parade has been banned. So from 2009, in 2012, 2013, and 2011, Euro Pride was banned by the yeah. state. Uh, and afterwards, Bel- Belgrade Pride, you mean, yes. Belgrade <laughs> Pride, yeah. Sorry. Uh, Belgrade Pride was banned, mm-hmm. and after uh, these bans, the organizers complained, and all these bans have been declared as uh, non-constitutional. Right. That they are like against the constitution right. of of Serbia, which organizers have claimed from the very yeah,
0: beginning. Like they were, they were, they were banned just basically because we, you know, the government saying, "Oh, we don't want, we don't, we don't want this event. It's done." No. <laughs>
1: No, before that, actually in Serbia, there is a procedure under which you can ban a certain event. The Ministry of Interior has to bring some sort of a security assessment uh, where they are actually assessing the security situation in the country. And they're saying, is it safe uh, for such uh, event to be organized? Uh, And that's pretty much it. But due to the constitution of Serbia and the freedom of gathering that should be guaranteed for... uh, Also for the people uh, uh, who are LGBT, uh, this means when you say that there is some unbelievable force threatening your own citizens and that you cannot protect them, this in a way was a failure of the state and it was actually interpreted as such. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, the activists and everyone opposed. In 2013, we had something that we called Midnight Pride. So even though the pride was uh, uh, banned, the activists went out the street. And actually after that, they uh, had their own walk and they walked the, the streets of right. of Belgrade. But before that, uh, the first attempt of pride in Serbia was in 2001. And this ended uh, in, in violence and in like huge clashes. And a lot of people were... Mm. injured uh after that in two thousand and ten we had another attempt of euro Pride which uh actually uh resulted in uh demo- resulted in a situation where the city the city center of Belgrade was completely demolished by the hooligans. Mm. and the right wing yeah. gangs so actually we had like a very turbulent history with with this event
0: right so but it's more than just the the far right involved with all of this, isn't it? I mean, we, I, you know, for the the work that we, that I do, the work that we do at Bellingcat, I mean, we're looking at, uh, you know, some you various fringe far right extremist movements who really push some pretty hardcore, hateful, anti-LGBT attitudes and ideologies and do everything they can to undermine LGBT rights. But, uh, it isn't just the far right involved here, is it? There's like, to what extent? Have, it isn't. Yeah, to what extent have have these kinds of anti-LGBT plus attitudes been taken up by what's now the mainstream in Serbia, or and obviously by Vučić's government and the the state that he oversees?
1: You see, basically, it really isn't just um, just the far right. They could not actually take. Uh, LGBT plus community on, to this stage where we are now again in 2022. We are being afraid that the Euro Pride will be that the Pride will be banned once again. Uh, basically, uh, from democ- when the democratic changes started in Serbia in 2000, even the other parties who were ruling Serbia were, let's say, never very determined when it comes to the rights of LGBT persons. So each government actually considered pride as a torture Mm -hmm. for them. They always knew that they had to somehow create um, the conditions to organize it, but they never worked on a climate within a society, you know? So besides this, uh, sentences that uh, they have the right to protest according to our constitution. We never had, uh, LGBT friendly uh, representatives of the institution who actually contributed to this, um, new atmosphere where the acceptance of these people will be, or where the understanding of their problems will be on a higher level in Serbia. And not just that they did not do that, they actually did uh, a lot. The
0: of, opposite. <laughs> uh,
1: they actually, yeah, they did, they did the opposite, actually. That, that's the, the, the best thing. So after that, uh, when Serbian Progressive Party came into power, we also faced the situation where we were a country in the region that has an LGBT uh, prime minister. Uh, that is coming, actually, to Pride, but she was never an activist. Mm -hmm. And over actually asked her to be be an activist in a way, but, you know, when you are having this prime minister that you are taking all around Europe and actually Mm showing off how Serbia is a very progressive country that has an LGBT prime minister, sorry, of course, that in that situation, then uh, it's logical that the LGBT community has some expectations. From this person, so if if she can be used in a sense that we present Serbia as a country that progressed a lot, that made some very important steps towards the acceptance of these people, and we can do only, uh, we can actually do that only when we are talking with the foreigners. Mm -hmm. But while we are in our own country, when we are trying to talk with our own citizens, then basically it turns out that the government and the prime minister are ready to do almost nothing. Mm -hmm. We have a large problem with. Un, uh, persecution of the unlawful conduct against lgbtiq person we still don't have a, a law on the same-sex marriages so basically uh, in each um sections when basically there are the steps of the states that need to mm-hmm. be taken state actually failed to do them however uh we have some not some but lots of uh uh Statistical data and uh, surveys that are showing actually that in Serbia there has been a change of public okay, perception really. of LGBT persons, yeah, in a positive, in a positive mm-hmm. way. But still, that doesn't. And this is actually the, I would say that this is the result of prides that mm-hmm. have been held in Serbia. This is the result of, of the work of activists that usually. Um, is hard to to measure in a way, and right. this is the consequence of the work of LGBTIQ organization. But still, that's not enough. Right.
0: I mean, it's, it's you know certain, it's, we are
1: talking about yeah some very basic perceptions like the, do they have uh, you know are they sick? So basically, right. we're still you know having it, these questions. It's, question it, it's, like it's some question yeah,
0: no, it, Because this is the kind of thing that I've seen in in other countries across the region as well. Like Look at uh, Ukraine or Poland, where even though, of course, in in those and other countries, there is, you know, hostility from a a small but uh, powerful minority to anything related to LGBT plus rights and still, you know, widespread prejudices in society. Some of the attitudes are you know maybe it's too much to say they're getting better but at the very least they're getting less negative but what you're saying in the serbian context is that that was not symptomatic of any you know any effort from the state or government at all
1: exactly basically these changes in the perception uh, of the public that are that actually have been proven to this research were never backed up with any concrete steps of the government never because we are still talking about, about a small numbers, mm. There are some uh, steps, um, which mean that a positive change is possible. But still, when you're constantly leaving all these efforts to be made only by the civil society and by the activists and by like, mm. individuals, then it means that a larger level of acceptance within a society cannot be achieved. Right. Without the, let's say, support. Right, of the and it sector. also, of course, it also
0: seems that a lot of these kinds of, you know, in the examples that you're talking about, and I think it's something seen across the region as well, is that a lot of the when governments, you know, do allow or you know put on pride events or you know talk about some sort of pro LGBT plus credentials, it seems in a mm-hmm. lot of cases they're doing it because of some very specific external pressure or they're doing it for external reasons and that kind of alludes to what you were saying a few minutes ago when you talk about uh, Vucic and Anna Bonović you know you know kind of giving one message some sort of unspoken message to the the international community but a very different one at home yeah
1: exactly yeah exactly and this is for Serbia this is not something that can only be applied to the LGBT uh, rights but actually, we have this, uh, and I think that that's also sends a very bad message to to the society and to the citizens. Uh, when you are saying we have to have pride because they are requesting that for us. When I say they, it usually means like the. Best, yeah, we
0: have to have pride you know? because Brussels says so, or you know. The- <laughs>
1: yes, I think that that's very bad. I think that is also creating. Another problem for the LGBTIQ community in Serbia because they're then they're being viewed as, let's say the, uh, the the I don't know the other hand of the Brussels in Serbia, which is crazy. These are like. Uh, we're dehumanizing them constantly, where we're putting them in this unfair...
0: Turning them into like Western Western agents of influence. Or... Exactly. Yeah, and I...
1: Exactly. And the government is actually putting them in a very unfair political position. And then we have a debate. Are LGBTIQ uh, persons, organizations that are dealing with, the, with these rights, are they agents of the West and foreign mercenaries? And we're constantly actually... Uh, are we are constantly uh moving m- more away from the from the key questions that are representing the, the key issues of the LGBT citizens right. in Serbia.
0: Is is this the case across other countries in the region and like other countries that you yourself have worked in, other countries that that, that Youth Initiative for Human Rights is, is involved in. Uh I mean obviously that this this could be another podcast to just talk about some of the issues in 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 other countries in the region. Uh, are there some similar issues? Are there some differences? Are there some key issues in some other countries in the region that you think people need to know about?
1: i uh, I think that the, the let's say the key similarity would be that all societies in the region when we talk whether we talk about kosovo, montenegro, croatia. Bosnia in their essence we are like very traditional and conservative society Mm. that's patriarchal ones so that's I would say that that would be something that links us but still there is a completely different narrative and treatment of uh, pride events in each of these states which is actually if you ask me clearly reflecting the state of internal politics within okay. the country. So I think that I, I would maybe stop here because if I went into, if I go into details right. about each and every Pride event, I think that you're right that we could have another conference, but I think that this is a good hint. Yeah, It's a good hint for those who would like to, to learn more. So compare, for example, Pride in Pristina and Pride in Belgrade. Compare the narratives, compare the behaviors of governments mm-hmm. towards these events and you will basically uh, you will be able to compare the level of democracy in Serbia and Kosovo, Serbia and Montenegro. You will be able to see some key differences when it comes to, uh, let's say, the atmosphere within a society. Right. You will be able to map uh, the key components of each of these governments, how they rule, how what do they respect, what are their priorities to whom they are referring to when they're... Uh, making decisions and things like that. I think that mm-hmm. that's uh, one part. When when you're looking a uh, pride from that and prides in the region from that angle, I think that right. one can discover like, that a lot.
0: maybe it'd be fruitful for people who are curious to look at, say, look look at uh, you know Zagreb Pride over the past few years, exactly. uh, Sarajevo Pride, which I know has only been going on for a few years, Pristina, like you mentioned, exactly and,
1: because Sarajevo Pride couldn't even happen. Yeah.
0: And, Until a couple of and years I believe ago. Podgorica and Montenegro, that is coming up mm-hmm. soon as well, isn't it? Yeah. All right. See, I am keeping up. Okay, good. Hey, <laughs> exactly. you know, so
1: they're all in Kosovo as yes. well. Christina, in October. Oh,
0: that's in October. Oh, well, there's, there's a lot going on then. So I have a kind of a final closing question for you that, you know, like a lot of what we talked about could be a book on its own. You know, what do you think needs to be done to. Not even just curb the influence of of the far right in Serbia, but to curb some of the negative influence of the sort of anti-LGBTQI ideology in Serbia, especially when it comes to some of the rhetoric, some of the actions, and frankly, some of the violent rhetoric and actions that unfortunately we've seen.
1: It's very important to understand that anti-LGBTIQ rhetoric is a crucial part of each right-wing ideology in Serbia. So, whether the person is uh, can be let's say can be described as right-wing conservative or far-right, anti-LGBT uh, element is omnipresent in their let's say stance mm-hmm. or rhetorics or 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 let's say plans. Right. So they are constantly trying to say that they are the only ones who know how LGBTIQ people should be treated, what we should give them, and how they should live. And they usually justify this with the arguments, you know, I also have a friend who is LGBT, and then they continue with with this demagogy, which is like really, uh, really outdated in a way, and it's it's nothing new basically. It's really, it's really nothing new, neither for Serbia or for the world as such. So, basically, I think that, in 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 that terms, uh, I think that there is also can be a link drawn between the Serbian Progressive Party and and the, the these right wing parties because uh, some uh, journalists and analysts mm. in the country. Are you know constantly uh, comparing this uh, these moves that they take, and they usually don't seem like they're you know uh, opposing each other. Right. In a way, we had Boško Bradovic yeah. and Veli and these right wing party that were asking a uh, government to ban pride, and then we have a president who, instead to protect its own citizens, who is basically fulfilling the wishes of. Uh, right wing, uh, right, just parties. just
0: just catering to that seemingly catering to that pressure from groups that groups, individuals, movements that uh, on their face are opposed to him say that they're opposed to him and his government, but a lot of the time are very much marching in the same direction.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I think that thanks to Europe Pride now, this is like very visible. Mm-hmm in a way but the only thing with euro pride is that either you will ban it or you will make it happen right so you know i think that this really diminishes this space for manipulation of serbian government that they're that they're used to use right. uh in a way so i think that that now they're like really on a test and i think that this is really Huge test that will show how free is Serbia mm-hmm. actually, and how free Serbia can be. Because with all these uh, lithias on the street, mm-hmm. with all these uh, uh, unexplainable actions of the government, where they're saying that there are extremist groups who are threatening to make a chaos, yeah. uh, we, when we are asking who are these like, groups, who, they are, who not are these groups, them. are they so being, like, are
0: they being held to exactly. account? Are they you know are they being punished? We
1: don't have any kind of data. And we have this situation where the president is constantly saying that the state will cancel or or postpone the parade, which is a parade can't do completely crazy because yeah, state cannot do it, state can only ban it. But then we have president who is basically announcing these bans for days. And then if we have an institution that will ban the pride, then we're literally talking about a society where president is giving signals and the institutions are behaving Mm -hmm. in that manner. So we don't have independent institutions. We apparently don't have uh, presidents and the representatives of government that are willing to defend their constitution, not just to respect it, but to defend it. Right. And to basically enable... The citizens of Serbia to to enjoy their rights as it should mm-hmm. be in any democratic country but still I think that with uh all this um mess that was created around europe pride I think that uh, it actually showed that this is not just about Europe right right and I think that that's actually the key and this is something that from my point of view, Lydia shows we had like night wolves right. from Russia in the front uh, rows of these Lithia protests. Right. We have the pictures of Vladimir Putin. Yeah. We have messages about the independence of Kosovo. We have uh, support to the uh, foreign fighters, uh, actually uh, Serbian foreign fighters who fight uh, on the Russian mm-hmm. side. So I think that this is already far beyond Euro Pride and LGBT rights as such, right. which is basically showing that anti-LGBT agenda is only, let's say, one uh, of the very uh, easy uh, battlefields mm. where these people can uh, get more supporters for their ideology.
0: Right. It's... It's not the most optimistic chat I think we've ever had, but it's definitely.
1: <laughs> it's it's not. not, but it's. It's not, but when you when you look at it, it's logical yeah. because I was saying that the societies in the region are like traditional and conservative in general. But I don't think that all people are far right. Exactly. of course, I don't think that. But they're exploiting this mm-hmm. fact, this uh, perception of what trad- traditional is and what traditional. Should look like in 2022. They're exploiting mm. it to actually draw, drew, actually drag people on their side, right. which is literally, uh, uh, let's say, a battlefield where the only victims are once again LGBT citizens right. in Serbia, which is completely unfair. Right. And there is, and the state is not willing to protect them.
0: That seems very clear. Yeah. Which is
1: actually the only role, the only role that the state should have in this kind of situation. Right.
0: Well. Again, not the most optimistic discussion to be having, mm. but I think a, a critical and important one. Uh, so yeah, thanks very care. much, Sophia, for uh, taking the time to chat with me.
1: The Cat Monitoring Podcast is produced by Michael Colborn and Jocarlo Fiorella for Belling Cat. The music you've heard is titled Glowing Vitality by Dream Cave, courtesy of Epidemic Sound.